Welcome to episode 614 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome on to episode 614 of Iron Talk with Coach John Houston and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Yourself? You're doing the Macaulay McCulkin, are you? The what? Macaulay Culkin, you know, home alone. I am home alone. God, you get a lot done when your family's away. It's fantastic. <laughs> love my family, love my wife, love my kids. School holidays, you're away. Getting plenty of, plenty done each day. You're not heading up to Criteria? No, because I was away for the Com Games, and we're going, we're going tramping this weekend, so need to get some work done. You've got to be productive. You've got to help the economy, John. Exactly. Exactly. I talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance, <gasps> your lactic buffer, and our patrons. And let's name a few: Jumbo, Barbie, the Dinky Dynamo, Bristolies. We've got Haig, the Vintage Viper Prince. And Brett, the Ringmaster Ryan. Okay, guys, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a big discussion of the week. Uh, we've got stats testing. We've got an interview, John. We have Dan Abel. He's a guy from Christchurch. Well, he's Christchurch and UK base. He's a swim coach. He's a former top New Zealand swimmer, um, but he also goes and does a lot of swim adventures in terms of, you know, some of the epic swims around the world. Pretty sure he's done the Channel Crossing, but he yeah, recently no, he's done the Channel. Yep. Yeah, he swam swam around uh, Rarotonga not that long ago, which is I think it must have been it's over forty k's because um, I've driven around there and I think it was a four, I think it's a forty k loop when you're biking around the island. They have a triathlon over there uh and very passionate swim man so uh we'll talk to him about long distance swimming and he's 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 almost gonna try a triathlon next season i think so uh um, we'll see if we get him on board it must be really interesting when you you know like when you're used to going really long but only in one movement you know and mm-hmm. then to come over to especially swimming because swimming you know if you're used to going long as a runner it's probably i don't know it's just it's a different you don't hear much of that do you no he, he won't be high-level triathlon. He'll just be participating, but he's a very good swimmer. Yeah. Um, we've got a winger of the week. got some questions and answers in the end, and it's pretty much the show. So let's get into it, John. We had strongman happening over the weekend. John, what happened in the race? So I've just got uh, Cam Brown's Facebook post, and he gets a strongman is a 3K swim, 157K bike, and a 42-kilometer run. It's over in uh, an island. I think it's off the south of Japan. It's A lot of the, the Japanese races are on islands that are in the middle of nowhere in these little port towns, and they treat you like absolute royalty. Um, Cam was 7 minutes 45 down on Simon Jung off the bike, um, but managed to catch him at the 22K mark and pulled away. Simon must have semi-exploded because Cam Brown ended up going 7.52, Kato Tahara was second 8.04, Simon Young was third in 8.07 and Damien Collins the Aussie was fourth in 8.29. Apologies females, couldn't find any female results from the race uh, but it looks like a cool race, they had wind, rain, sunshine, plenty of humidity and a tough course so Cam Brown is winning again. Do you have any idea of the prize money? 
I don't, um, but they normally look after you fairly well. So even if the prize money's not that great, I note in Cam's post, he had his wife and kids over there as well. So don't think it'd be massive, um, but Cam's a bit of a rock star over in Japan because in his early career as sort of a when he was sort of finishing his junior years and early into his sort of um, pro years, he spent a lot of time in Japan racing, and I think he did pretty well out of it. So he's uh, he's well known over there. Uh, Torsten sent through some half results. John, you want to give a quick summary of what happened there? Yeah, it's gone nuts. The old 70.3s and challenge half races. We had uh, Challenge Gran Canaria um, and guy Pablo de Pina Gonzalez took that out. Uh, close race, never heard of this guy before, but he beat some quality athletes. He beat Andy Boucherer, Patrick Lang, Bart Arnolds and Sen Riedera. So the, the dude is fast. He ran a 109.25 um, and really just took it on the run after Andy Boucherer had a bit of a bit of a lead coming off the bike. And... This again shows how good the guys on the ITU circuit are because this guy Pablo, I just quickly looked him up on the, the ITU results and he's done a few here or there, but very much middle of the pack, maybe top half of the pack of the, the races that he's done. He is the current Spanish long distance champion, but just goes to show the ITU guys how fast they are, even if they're middle back of the packers, when this dude is out running, you know, the, a lot of the very fastest runners in our in our long distance sports. So pretty impressive by him. Yvonne Blamberken took out the girls race. Had Challenge Melbourne. Good old Mike Phillips from Christchurch took that out um, with a 110 run. And now I do know that that run was a little bit short. I think it was uh, 20.3 Ks, I think Mike said. But it was still bloody good performance by him. And uh, so he's going to be still going to be accumulating a few points for trying to get to Kona. Annabelle Luxford beat Laura Siddle um, on the girls' side of things. Laura Siddle was using that as a hit out before... Ironman Australia to see if she can defend her title which is next week and Aradka Carterfelt was third so coming back from her baby and then uh, we had a 70.3 in uh, we'll just call it 70.3 Brazil because I can't pronounce the name properly Igor Amarillo Amorelli took out that race in front of Tim O'Donnell and Pamela Oliveira took out the girls race she's an ITU athlete as well and then finally, we had 70.3 in Peru. Silver No beat Andy Potts by only 30 seconds. And Sarah Pampiano took out the girls' race fairly comfortably. Uh, coming up this weekend, we have Ironman Texas. And if you look at the field, John, man, there's a crap load of pros, isn't there? I know a few names are crossed out, but if you kind of just do a quick overview, you're looking at 81 pros. Now, it's probably more about in the 70s, but wow, that's pretty big. Huge. So last year at this race, Matt Hansen took it out. We had all th top three going under eight hours. So Matt Hansen took it out in 7.52, coming home with a very strong 2.42 after a 4.13 on the bike. He beat out Ronnie Shilnick and Tyler Butterfield. And Jody Robertson took out the girls' race with the first two girls going sub nine. So... Yeah, no, it's it's a big field and it's um and it's a good quality field. You know, you got Brent McMahon, who's you know the the sub eight hour man. I think he's probably only got outside of Kona. I think it's only maybe one result that's uh, slower than eight hours. Matt Hansen interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. He can you know run the majority of the field down. Will Clark and then Freddie Van Leard. Um, got to remember, I mean. 
Some people think, oh, Freddie Van Leerty won Kona once and he hasn't done a huge amount since, but he has still won lots and lots of races. He's still a highly quality athlete. Uh, you got Tim Van Berkel, Matt Russell. be interesting to see what he can do on his um, comeback uh, after that horrific Kona crash. Uh, Starkowitz is racing. Darkowitz and and then you have got quite a few people pulling out. I saw Joe Skipper's pulled out. He's had a bit of an injury since Ironman New Zealand. Um, you've got Cam Worth who raced last weekend in South Africa. So it's just cool to have big fields and it's cool to be going into races where you're going. There's so many different guys and different dimensions to the race. You know, you've got Starkowitz who's no doubt going to absolutely blast the bejesus out of that bike ride. Uh, and then you've got the runners like Matt Hansen and, and Brent McMahon who's a great all-rounder and then, um, or great runners. And then you've got Freddie Van Laird who's uh, sort of one of the all-rounders. So it should be a good race. And the girl side of things? Girl side of things, uh, Angela Neath's pulled out. So the, the current number one seed on Torsten's ratings is Meredith Kessler. Again, coming back from a baby, so who knows what sort of shape she'll be in. I'm sure she'll be in good shape, but where the good shape is enough to win the race. Uh, then you've got uh, Melissa Halstein still chugging along, even though I remember we interviewed her in Kona last time we were there, or maybe even the time before that. And she was kind of saying her career was pretty much over because she had this rib issue, but she seems to still be going bloody strong and, and won that 70.3 either last weekend or the weekend before over Marinda Carfrey. Uh, and then you've got Michelle Vesterby, Jodie Robertson, and uh, also Jocelyn McCauley. I think she'll be looking to make amends after not performing to her high standards at uh, Ironman New Zealand. So again, should be good racing over there. Now I would say with Ironman Texas, um, they last year they had uh, the 2017 Athletes' Choice Awards. They had the best overall run, best host city experience, and best post-race celebrations. They got a lot to live up for, uh, and they had looks like they've settled on a course because they've had quite a few challenges with the course at Ironman Texas. One year they had about five million turns on the bike course, so uh, people struggle with that. They had the the weather conditions a few years ago where they actually paused the race mid-race, which was the most bizarre thing i've ever heard of <laughs> it was wasn't it yeah but it looks like a cool course on the on the swim what i like about the swim they've sort of got a point to point swim which is really unique you kind of do a little a little uh, horseshoe and then you swim up another sort of arm of the the lake that they've got there so it's kind of cool bike course looks electrically fast doesn't look like it's going to be the most exciting race uh, exciting course because you're going up and down a, a sort of a toll road but man i bet you it's going to be extremely fast and the runs three laps around um sort of a lake so good luck to everybody out there the weather conditions look like they're going to be warm but not uh not crazy warm yeah good times um jumbo while you're on the site they had the best of 2018 or 2017 and it was kind of interesting so i mean i didn't realize they kind of did this it was the athletes choice awards and so maybe we just do the winner of each one so you have overall satisfaction at i mean maryland which was pretty interesting yep overall swim the, the most favorite was uh cozumel so you can kind of understand that being down in the down sort of in mexico caribbean area i'm sure it'd be lovely swimming in the open water there uh then we had i mean Blanc. uh was the overall bike Overall run was uh, Ironman Louisville last year. Uh, overall racing venue was Tremblant again, so uh, that was that one. Best host city experience, Wisconsin. I can give Mont Tremblant because it's uh, post-race celebration was here as well. It does look like a cool place to go, and they've got a really nice challenging course there from what I can see. So, um, And then will attend next year, Ironman Korea. And then we have, will recommend to a friend, Ironman Sweden. 
in the bonus categories, best music, Iron Man Cairns, which I did oh. note I saw on Iron Man today, uh, the Iron Distance Race is sold out, so good on them. Uh, best food race food selection was Iron Man Treblanc Cairns. So Trom Blanc, Bevan. you got to say it properly. Trom Blanc. Trom Blanc. Oh, okay, there you go. I wouldn't even know how to say that. Trom Blanc. And best restaurants, Little Debbie, Iron Man Chattanooga. Now, I'm going to say with, with all this, there's a very, very, very strong American theme to these. If you go through almost all of them, uh, they at the least half, category. if not more, uh, American-based race. So Americans, it looks like you're very good at filling out post-race satisfaction <laughs> surveys. Well done. <laughs> okay, so the other thing we've got coming up this weekend is we have Challenge Taiwan. It's got 804 with 1,300 and a half, so it's a very successful race. Uh, anyone of note, John? Yeah, well, we've got Dylan McNeese going up there. You know, he's um, does it's, it's a very small pro, pro field. You've got Dylan McNeese going up against Luke Bell and Free Cronenberg, so that should be quite a good race between those three. On the girls' side of things, very small field. You've got Alyssa Godeski, um, Lee Xiaoyu. She came down to Christchurch um, once and spent a summer training down here, and also Christchurch athlete Julia Grant racing. So guaranteed to get on the podium, which is always nice. But, uh, how'd you go? Oh, I got top three. Yeah, top three. <laughs> oh, I got top three. Challenge have announced what they call the Tri Slam. So with the new Oh, Bevan, you've missed one. You missed it. Have I? Try oh, North yeah, oh, Africa. Yeah, so, so good old. Oh, Try North Africa. I've got well ahead of myself. Try North Africa. So tell me about this one, John. Is it just a little local try? It looks like uh, it looks like a brand new race. It's in Algeria. Uh, they've got on their website. This is going to be the game changer. Take part in this extraordinary race in an undiscovered country. Uh, will you start writing history with us? Register now. Uh, so yeah, racing in Algeria. So it's an iron distance race. They've got a half. They've got a sprint. Looks like they've got a very small field. Um, but just again, it's I love K226.com because it really highlights all these different races around the world. Uh, and if you want to, you know, go on an adventure, go check out this race in Algeria. Okay, some random news. Lionel Sanders has said that after the Oceanside... Actually, Bevan, just, but just back it up there for a second. There's reasonable prize money there as well. And I, I didn't actually see this yesterday. Um, there's, a, there's a very, very small field. They've got 3,000 euros first, 2,500, 2,000, 1,500, and 1,000. They have not got equal prize money. I will give them a bit of a slap on the wrist for that. The woman's prize money is less. Uh, I'm putting in a late entry. I'm going to Algeria, Bevan. Make, make it happen. I'm going. <laughs> make it happen. Lock it in. Lionel Sanders has gone, said after Oceanside that it's now war with Fredino. He's, was, I love Lionel Sanders because he's just, he's different it, to the rest. Like, you know, we've got he's so like, many... He's like the Mecca of our time, isn't he? You know, because Mecca was so good for the sport as in he, it was interesting. You know, like you love him or hate him, but that's the good thing about Mecca. Um, and with him out of that pro ranking, having someone like Sanders in the game is really good, isn't it? It is, but he's he's so he's. I know what he's saying. He's he's kind of like Maka, but he's different because he's not an orthodox athlete. So we've got you know we've got so many awesome guys coming across now. So you think we've got Fro Frodo, Gomez, and Brownlee. Those three are all quite three different characters, but they have really come up through the triathlon system. So they kind of know how to deal with it. Well, they've, they've dealt with the media for a lot of years and they kind of know and they play the game and, and they still say some some um, really, really interesting things. But Sanders just says all these bizarre 
things, which I find extremely entertaining. You know, he's got this. He's got in German now. This is war written up uh, on a piece of paper, sitting in front of him for all his indoor sessions. So it's entertaining. Look, I'd put money on Fredino beating uh, Lionel Sanders the majority of the times if he's uh, if if Fredino's in top shape. But Sanders is gonna is gonna spice up the race and love to see it. So good on him. You got him putting it out there as well because. Uh, you, you kind of that's what I find interesting like the guy who's willing to put the smack down out there because you've got to really back yourself if that's the case isn't it because you know Fredino probably as a worse Sanders and you know he's a threat as a race but I don't think Fredino is that scared of Sanders as no. an athlete yeah. you know what I mean and so yeah. uh, it takes balls to put it out there and say you know what I'm, I'm coming for you and uh, and yeah so interesting stuff Tri family have introduced what they call the Tri Slam so with the new Tri Slam challenge family and uh, triathlon to take part in no less than three long distance triathlons. So if you do, uh, what is it? Challenge Venice, Challenge Almere, Amsterdam, and Challenge Madrid. If a triathlete takes part, gets to the finish line in these three long course triathlons, he or she will be assured of the opportunity to sign up for Challenge Rote the following year. If the triathlon completes in Rote as well, he would have completed the Tri-Slam and were rewarded with a special medal and a gift at the award ceremony in Challenge Rote. It's a cool idea. I think they've just challenged are doing a really good job at just trying to keep innovating uh, things. Now I don't know if you've got to complete all of those in one season. If you do, that's a big bloody ask. Um, but uh, it's a bit like you know, a little bit like the legacy program. It's really oh. hard to get into rote, and so they're just. I, 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 I assume it is because the way that's worded there, you know. So if you do those three races and then you get to sign up for the following year, I, I think it probably is one year. Mm. So. But yeah, I, I, I like the look of it and, and it's giving people that recognition that a lot of people want and it's giving people an opportunity to get into rote because, as I said, it's bloody hard to get in. It sells out within seconds um, and uh, so yeah, good on them. Is this the first real, like I know in some races they'll give rote slots, so they will sometimes give rote slots to age group winners, won't they? Yeah, so they used to do that at Challenge Wanaka. They didn't give you, they get, it's a bit like qualifying for Kona. They give you the opportunity yeah. to enter the race. So you've still got to pay the entry fee. Um, so yeah, they do do that at, at a few, I don't know if they do it at any other events, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a hot hot uh, ticket to get into to rote. So, well, it's yeah. just, just interesting. They are starting to do that thing of, you know, rote and Hawaii are the two races really, aren't they? And so <laughs> it's, it's, they are starting to do that kind of use rote as a carrot. Um, which, you know, it's what WTC's done for a long time. So, you know, love it or hate it, it's, it's one way of getting into road, isn't it? Exactly. Okay, John, we've got John's ITU update. What's happening in the ITU world? The WTS series, so the World Triathlon Series, is back in action this weekend in Bermuda. So brand new race. Make sure if you, yeah, if you need some stuff to be watching on your indoor trainer, Get a subscription to the triathlonlive.tv, except us bloody Kiwis. We can't do it because uh, stupid Sky Sport have got the, the rights to triathlon and then they decide to not even uh, play it on, on, on TV, oh, really? which is very frustrating because uh, we can't actually access the triathlonlive.tv. So yeah, going to Bermuda, um, obviously courtesy of Flora Duffy being so popular and successful, looks like a decent little course. They're going to do 10 laps on the bike and they have a hill each lap. So uh, yeah, it could be, could be interesting. Obviously it'll be pretty warm over there. The fields are quite a bit smaller than what we normally see a lot of races and I think the, the main reason for that is a lot of the 
Commonwealth countries have just had a you know major event in, in the Commonwealth Games. Also, Bermuda is a bit out of the way in terms of actually trying to, to get there. Um, but you've still got a quality field, but just not quite as big a field as, as what you might uh, see. So on the guys' side of things, there's actually nobody from Great Britain racing, uh, and that's a bit of a, a bit of an oddity. Um, but you've still got quality. You've got Henry Schumann, Mario Mola, Vincent Louis, um, okay. and a bunch of other guys. So you always know you're going to have a great field. You've got Richard Murray. Um, but yeah, just a smaller field than what you might normally see. We've only got 52 guys on the start line. Uh, in comparison normally, to what? Normally you get sort of around uh, closer to 70. I think 70 is the max they take on ITU okay. races. Yeah. And then on the girls' side of things, uh, we have uh, no surprises. We have um, Flora Duffy. She'll be looking to make amends after crashing out in the first round. She did win the Commonwealth Games, which would have been a big focus, but uh, she is not seeded number one. You've got Rachel Clammer, Kirsten Casper, uh, Laura Linderman. Um, you've got the Poms. You've got Vicky Holland in there, AU Ada. So, yeah, the, the race, that's the cool thing about the WTS series is Every race, you've got a very, very strong field. Again, on the girls' side of things, slightly smaller field, only 33, but uh, got some quality in there. John, just, just the male, like in the females, we seem to have a dominant player again. But in the male racing this year, is it more of an interesting year this year because there doesn't seem to be the, the dominant soul? Well, yeah, I'd say you haven't got... Well, no, you have. You've, you've got a bunch of guys. Like last year, Mario Mola was very dominant if it came down to a, a running race. race in the first half of the season. But no, you haven't got that at the moment. You haven't got a Brownlee who you're going, unless he crashes, he's pretty much going to win the race. And on the mm. girls' side of things at the moment, you'd pretty much say with Flora Duffy, it's pretty much guaranteed she's going to win. Not a guaranteed, but highly likely she's going to win. And even if it comes down to a running race, she still stands a very, very good chance. On the guys' side of things, it's going to be really interesting to, to, to map the progress of Henry Schumann. So he's won the first two major races of the year, but they've both been over sprint distance. So we've had the Cape Town, not Cape Town, he got second there. Um, we had the first race, which was in Abu Dhabi. He looked sensational, as he did at the Commonwealth Games. But sprints are sprints. Um, Olympic is slightly different, so we'll see if he's dominant. But my gut feeling says that he is gonna gonna crush it. So it's an exciting year for the males racing, isn't it? As, as a spectator. Uh, yeah, it's an It is for a spectator, but it's an opportunity for a couple of guys to really stand up and and really stamp their authority on the on the season. So last year, Mario Mola was that guy. He was really just crushing every race unless he was miles behind. But even then, he he usually came through. But Vincent Louis, you know, he's he, it seems that the guys at the moment are, are not quite able to sustain their dominance for the whole season because we've seen Richard Murray, he dominated parts of the season last year. Mario Mola dominated sort of the early part of the ITU. And then you had um, Blumenfeld came through very strong at the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, Henry Schumann's done very well at the start of the season, whether these guys can actually sustain it all the way through. Okay, John, the discussion of the week, we had a massive discussion. The discussion was if a transgender triathlete, a female who was originally a male, on Ironman races, how would you feel? We're basing this on science saying that there's no proven advantage over other female athletes. And uh, John, it was a big discussion. And with Sarah Sutherland, whose nickname's Agent Smackdown, definitely laid down a lot of Agent Smackdown in this discussion. Um, Sarah is someone who's a trans athlete. Actually came on Kip Kierkeha um, before she had gone through the whole process. Um, and so kind of recent to it and uh, definitely defended 
the trends side of the argument. Uh, John, your thoughts all. Let's use some. I this it's a massive discussion, guys. Seriously, there's hundreds of comments. Um, so, do you want to do an overview, or do you want to kind of? Well, my my take on this was, uh, I, I thought I'd look at the female comments more than the males because that's usually going to be the case. Is that a, a trans athlete that's gone from male to female is often that's where the controversy has come up at this stage. I haven't seen any controversy myself of um, females uh, changing to, to males where there's been a big issue in terms of actually winning events or winning competitions. And the reason this topic came up for Bevan was that we had a weightlifter go to the Commonwealth Games, um, injured herself, uh, and she was a, a male gone to, changed a female, uh, injured herself, but probably would have won the gold medal. Um, and so there was a lot of controversy around that. So um, Beck, Beck, Clifford, Beck Clifford, I'd be angry. Women don't have an equal number of spots for Kona. Women athletes still don't receive equal sponsorship money to men than this. I don't mind if they compete, but either need a separate category to race under or not be officially placed. Any born male who has gone through puberty as a male are going to have an advantage, and I'm sick of women and women athletes being sidelined. You're right. Okay. Um... Oh, oh, there's so many, John. I haven't really kind of... Did, we'll have a look at the show notes. Just use the ones I've got in the show notes, Bevan. Okay, then. So then we've got Tony Hodge has got, we need a third or fourth gender category for trans in both directions. Uh, as already said, gender is no longer binary and having a specific category, we allow the science to learn more and encourage trans athletes into the sport without any controversy. Minister Uri, I'd be 100% fine with it. I would love our sport to encourage inclusion for everyone, no matter on your past gender identity. As with the Commonwealth Games, there would need to be rules around hormone levels to not have a competitive advantage. But if they're playing within the rules, I support it. I'm going to do Sarah's main one that she did on here on the Facebook feed. So as some of you may be aware, I'm a trans woman who is looking at returning triathlons in the future. I've raced ITU age group worlds five times and do not see myself as a high level competitor. I do have to do a stack of research negotiations and conversations just to get an entry that is acceptable. But for most part, when I ask an event organizer regarding the entry, I get ignored because it's in the too hard basket. I can participate, but I cannot compete. I can always enter in the male category, but that does not make me as a person feel invalid. I am six foot tall and some would say that's an unfair advantage, but it is no help going up hills against smaller people. Uh, I have CIS female friends that are 6'2", 6'4", so technically they have an unfair advantage too. By the ICO, o, sorry, IOC current ruling, I must live for four years as a woman plus have my testosterone below a level of 10 mnol for a minimum of 12 months to be eligible to compete. My current testosterone levels is 3.4. Uh, which is a third of the maximum allowed. I still have to wait two or three years till I'm eligible to compete. My strength is down. My blood pressure is very low due to the hormones I take to the point where heavy exercise affects my blood to my brain and I get dizzy spells very often. And why shouldn't a trans male to female receive the accolades if they meet all the criteria to set out in the rules and guidelines by medical professionals and governing bodies? They still have to work their asses off to get to the top of their sport. Nothing is gifted to them. And even worse, vile, unwarranted attacks to their, uh, themselves as a person just for doing sport. Sports are stuck in a binary system, whereas society has evolved beyond binary. Sport is the next frontier for acceptance, but it will probably won't happen in my lifetime. Maybe in the next generation we'll work the rewards of the work that has been done right now. Your next job? 
and Sarah, Sarah also kindly got on there and made a lot of comments, uh, uh, you know, just explaining to other people. And I think that's the big issue here is there's no right, I don't reckon there's a right answer um, uh, on exactly what to do. And one thing I'm going to say is, I know you've you've said the science says there's no change, but I'm going to agree with a lot of the comments on there. I'm, I find that hard to believe, and I haven't read the science, but just... I just find it very hard to believe that there's not an advantage for a male that's changed over to females. Show me the science and if I read it, but that's my, my sort of gut feeling. But firstly, I'd say you play by the rules and the rules might be not be correct at the moment. Um, like there's lots of rules that aren't correct. You know, we can qualify for coronavirus 70.3 race, which is, which is not correct. But if the rules state that um, trans athletes can compete, then you just got to, just got to roll with it. Um, and the other thing is it's never going to be, we're never going to have a fair system. We don't currently have a fair system because if, um, I don't know, if someone like Craig Alexander wanted to come and race uh, age group next season, he could probably just change straight down and uh, and you'd feel pretty hard done by if you had him rocking up in your age group and he knocked you out of qualifying for a Kona slot. So there's never going to be a fair, fair system. I've got to say, none of, well, not none of us, but the majority of us aren't really qualified to comment on this with all the science behind us. If you've read the science, Bevan, you can fill us in on it, but I certainly haven't read any of it um so i'm just going on my opinion without the without the science backing but for me from a race organizer's point of view if i had this situation my intuitively what i would say is you you just have a have a separate category for athletes that have made the change and I, and that seems like the fairest system to me um and uh how you'd allocate Kona slots or anything like that if you wanted to go down that path, I don't know. Um, but that seems like the fairest system. Bevan, over to you because it's your topic. <laughs> well, I think the first thing that would need to be acknowledged is it can be a dangerous subject because it's like, like it's that, like for me, I have no problem with change trends. You know what I mean? Like in, in, in society, I think it's a really healthy thing that if, if, it's, if you're a person who feels you need to make that transition in your life, and it's a, it's one of those subjects that if you have an opinion that's against or because it's a very confusing subject, and I think that's the thing is that um, there's there's a little bit of tension in discussion on this week's discussion um, from a few people around this subject, and you can understand why. But it's 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 very murky water, and for me, I was like when I first heard this discussion when around Lauren, the, the weightlifter, I was kind of mm, I really struggle with this because. I do see, I have no problem with her making a transition to a trans. I think it's a healthy thing and I, I encourage that in society we encourage it and acceptance of all types of people is a really important thing. But then when I first sort of heard about Lauren, I was like, oh, I do find it pretty hard because to me there seems there must be a competitive advantage to have gone from being a male to being a female uh, in a sport like weightlifting. Uh, and then when I actually did, now I haven't read that much into the science, but then when I started to look into the science and they were kind of saying, well, actually, if they based on their criteria, science is saying that it's it's a fair playing field, then I was like, well, you know what? The scientists know a lot more than I do, and so I'm going to trust that. And I and so for me, I was kind of like, well, if that's the case, I accept that for her to win the gold medal, which is kind of an interesting kind of dramatic story that she didn't actually win the gold medal, um, then I accept that, you know what? At this moment in time, that's what we have to accept. And for me, the... It, for me, but then I was sitting down on my piano the other day and I was thinking, well, what about basketball? Like, if you've been brought up as a male and you're six foot, oh, you're seven foot, or you're seven foot two, then you turn to, you know, like, that is an advantage. So it's still murky water. 
Um, I, I would say Even that how would you feel if you trained your nuts off to try to qualify for Kona and you're a female, put yourself in a female's yeah. position, you trained your nuts off, you finish in third place and you, because that's sort of the question we had there, yeah. uh, say you finish in third place and there's two qualifying slots and a, and a trans athlete um, had come across and finished in first or second place, how would you feel then about finishing in third and, and missing out on the slot? I don't know. I, I, I think I'd be conflicted. I can't deny it. Mm. But but if the rules, as you say, if science says, I think I just have to learn to accept it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? You know, like I, I I I would be conflicted, and it would be a struggle. Um, but science says, and and we may and that may change in the future. I think it, it, it it's a bit more sports dependent because like if you're being brought up as a boy until you're a fully developed man. Um, and you're a basketball player and you're seven foot two, well, there aren't that many seven foot two women out there. And that is a competitive advantage. So uh, in triathlon, I don't know if height really makes a difference. And some people have talked about um, the different muscles. And, you know, there's, it's a very, very complicated thing. But then, you know, we look at sport right now. And um, one of the discussions that I've talked about a little bit is just kind of what happens when um, you know, you actually will get a knee. Like it was interesting. The, who's the, who's that New Zealand sprinter who was the disabled sprinter who won the gold medal at the disabled Olympics? Um, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but yes, yeah, he, he but, but he was a blade blade runner, and he was he was going to. I think he did beat Oscar Pistorius's uh, records, and he was going after another record, but he's uh, hung up the boots. So, so he was kind of saying. Actually, eventually, we're going to be better than faster guys than the human guys because our technology is going to be better. And I think we're moving into a time in humanity where we're going to make choices around living longer, functioning at higher levels. I think we're at a very interesting time in sport overall. And in the next 40, 50 years, who knows what sports is going to be? And, and in many ways, someone who's gone through a trans transition has not, not advanced because you know, obviously people won't get sex changes, but... And can you know, five years from now, John, if you could get a knee, let's say you've got a bung knee, you could get a knee that's not just going to help you have to run, but it can actually help you run faster. What does that mean for sport? Mm. And you know, and I think you know, we're just really what's acceptance in sport is a really interesting discussion. I don't think this is black and white, and I do think it's very challenging. I do think it's really important to say that it's not that we don't think trans is a problem. It's, you know, we're not pointing a problem at trans. It's just how do we navigate this in a way where we move forward in the best way possible. And, and at the moment, I think we've got to say science says, so we've got to go with what science says. And as you say, those are the rules. And if it does happen in our sport, well, we've got to embrace that person. And if, if science changes in the future and says there is an advantage, well, we go with that. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. Be inclusive, everybody. Yeah, totally. Oh, my God. Like, life's too short to hate people. <laughs> you know what I mean, and and you know, like it's like everyone's got our struggles. Like, yeah, oh God, be inclusive, John. This is a much easier discussion this week. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, what do we got here, Jumbo? What do you? I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, what do you like or dislike about group training sessions? So, this might be helpful for coaches as well, if you, or, or club club coaches or anything like that. What do you like and what do you dislike about group training sessions? Okay, it's um, I, I, we'll probably get five comments on that one. Uh, this week's sponsor. 
extreme endurance. They've got one of their new products out now. It's uh, Amiga, but it's good. They've upped the ante. It's Amiga Plus D3. Two products in one. Uh, Amiga Plus D3 is a comprehensive formula providing very high levels of EPAs and DHAs in superior triglyceride form, along with 4,000 international units of vitamin D. Promotes healthy responses to exercise-induced inflammation. Helps keep your immune system strong. Loaded with EPAs and DHAs beneficial for optimal health promotes a healthy heart brain and joint mobility and the vitamin d3 promotes absorption of calcium for bone strength and maintenance so all around fantastic product check it out xendurance.com it's only 29.50 remember the promo code imtalk20 for 20 percent discount off and get yourself healthy decrease that inflammation train faster Get your bones nice and strong and improve your brain power so you can comment on all our discussions of the week with uh, with, with superior brain power. There you go, John. You're not just an athlete. You're a genius. There mm. you go. Omega-3. Oh, sorry, yeah. Omega-3. Omega plus D3 on xendurance.com along with all their other great products. Um, remember, that for you Kiwis and Aussies and everything going into winter, the old immune boost, fantastic way to keep the lurgies away. But check it out. Make sure you use the promo code IAMTALK20. Okay, three, two, one. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. fantastic. Okay, John. So 2018 years ago. This was so it's been 10 years since I've done an Ironman. That's what oh, that's my what, God. Yeah, it really is. 10 years I gave up. This was my last Ironman. It was in 2008. I went to road. I did it the year before. I was a bit gutted because I didn't get that sub nine. So I'm going back next year, and I knew it was going to be my last ever Ironman. And train like an animal. I had the best training period I ever had. I, I borrowed a bike. I did everything I could to do. And had shit weather on the day. It was a crapper, but it was it was fast conditions though. So that was a year Bevan and I both did it, and it was dismal on the uh, the bike. It was wasn't windy. It was just quite cold, and uh, it was just, wet. And the, and the problem was cornering and rope. So you lost a lot of time cornering because you had to be more cautious. Yeah, there's a lot of corners, and there's the the, the, the main downhill and rope. Uh, you have these switchbacks, and even this year, I mean, people. That was where I remember watching the footage of. Um, of Fredino and he rode off the road there so I was very cautious going down there this year and especially on the second lap you've got um, people all over the bloody show uh, so it was tricky conditions but back in 2008 it was a bit of a watershed year because it was the year that Yvonne Van Verken and Erica Chomor broke the iron distance record uh, in road and then it was I think it was a week later it might have even been the day, the next day Sandra Vollenhorst from Austria also broke the record as well so yeah. it was a it was a big week. The previous record was in 1984, held by Paul and Yubi Fraser. It was eight hours and 50 minutes and 45. Eight, uh, no, it'd be 94, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be 84? 94, 94, sorry. Yeah, 94. Yeah. Um, so I was just interested, and this is the sort of the stats for this week, was between 1994 when the record was set and when it was broken in 2008, what was the next fastest time? It was... Laurie Bowden went 8.51.22 in Austria in 2002. That was the closest anybody got. So she was within 30 seconds of breaking it. Um, so she's probably someone who 
doesn't quite get enough credit. I've tried to track her down for a Legends of Triathlon podcast, and I do have one. I've got a bunch of people on standby for Legends of Triathlon. I'm trying to get them on and get it all sorted. So there is a podcast coming soon. But Laurie Bowden seems to have uh, dropped off the face of the earth in terms of um, triathlon side of things, but I would love to get her on. Um, so she was the next one that got closest. So we actually got another stat here. Prior to 2000, only six women had gone under nine hours. Which is it's, it's mind-blowing when you think about you know, what, And then once 2008 happened, the, the, the oh. front gates opened. You oh. know, and, and like, what, what's it now? Like 8.14 or 8.18? Like, it eight, just eight, absolutely cr- Yeah, so like, it was like, like 16 years. No, no, it's, it's yeah, like 14, 14 years or something between the gap. So like, massive time. And then just smashing, but yeah, it was the sub nine was such a prestigious thing at that time, wasn't it? It was, and then and then Chrissy took it to a whole other level in terms of uh, you know not just making sub sub nine the you know a winning performance, but then you know you need to be going eight thirty to sort of be competitive, and then eight twenty, and then eight eighteen. So she really took the bar up. And these days, you know, um, if you're a pro female uh, and you want to be, you know top 10 uh, in the world sort of thing. If you're not well under nine hours, you ain't getting, you know, you're not even getting anywhere near that. So, uh, so yeah, it was uh, 2008 was uh, was the watershed year, but prior to that, Laurie Bowden in, uh, in Austria, and uh, prior to that, the stat was only six women had gone under nine hours prior to 2000. It shows how amazing Paula was, doesn't it? Oh, yes, yeah, and she did it a number of times. So when I say six women prior to 2000, she, she did it several times. Now, it's always on the same courses, you know, Roe to Austria, and we know that yeah. there's, yeah, the there's reasons ones. why, they're, A, they're fast courses, and B, the, the measurements sometimes might not have been 100% accurate, but she also went sub nine in, um, in Kona as well, and that's, you know, that's legit measuring. Uh, so she was what, what, impressive. John, we- we don't give Paula enough love on the show. Why was she so good? I, I wasn't really around at the time. Why was Paula? I know she was very dominant in Kona and maybe not as dominant outside of Kona, but why was she so good? Uh, well, I've tried to get her on Legends as well, but she works for for Ironman. Uh, so maybe I'll do it. I'll do a. But rather than just doing it off the cuff, I'll, I'll do a bit of a profile on her career because you're right. Like it was very much the Erin versus Paula show, and this is this is a little bit before my time. This is sort of in the the early '90s, so just as I was getting into the sport, they were sort of coming towards the tail end of their career. Um, but yeah, it was a very she she had some amazing performances where she finished incredibly high up in the the male overall field. But she was she was good all round, you know. She was a good biker. She was a um, good runner. She was a reasonable swimmer. So um, she had the full package. But she, she's probably one, the difference between her and, say, a lot of the, um, say, the big four for the males and for Erin, she was very much dominant at the iron distance, and that didn't necessarily transfer across to short course racing as it did with the others. So Erin did it all. She was yep. awesome at all distances. Same with, um, say, Mark Allen um, and Scott Molina. Tinley and Dave Scott, they were more long course guys. Um, but yeah, that was probably the one thing that Paul Newby Fraser, she didn't didn't have any world titles as far as I'm aware over the shorter distances. Maybe we should get Melina to actually do a bit of a talk about that because mm. um, I know it's the, the wife's rival. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, we, don't, we really don't give her enough love on this show. Like we often always go back to Chrissy because we're, we're in Chrissy's time and Chrissy was a bit of a freak and obviously we've got Daniela right now. But she won kind of eight times. Yeah. Like, man, 
you know, and there was a time when she played crashed out, you know, 200 meters to go, you know, like mm. she was, she, that, she was a freak in Kona and, uh, you know, and not just in Kona, but what a, what a legend of an athlete. So yeah, maybe we'll get Melina on or we'll do some research into why she was so dominant because what an athlete. Uh, John, we're going to interview. We have. So here comes Dan Abel and he is from Fit and Abel and you're going to hear lots about swimming. You want to push stop? Okay, guys, uh, we're talking swimming today. We've got a swimming adventurer. He's done the channel crossing. He's swum around Rarotonga, which we're going to hear a little bit about. Done lots of other swimming adventures. He's been a top swimmer back in the day. He's actually from Christchurch, so I used to see him swimming over there in the fast lane when I was over in about lane five or six. Uh, he does swim coaching business. He's uh, run swim events, and he's starting to dip his toes into the triathlon world in terms of participating himself. So his name's oh, Dan, oh, 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 Dan Hayes. John. from Fit and Able, so welcome along, Dan. G'day, John. Good to be here. That was back in the Avon Aquatics day, wasn't it? it? Was. You and we, I doing some laps. You were you a kayak boy, though. You came from out in the sticks. That's right. I came in out of the country to the big city of Christchurch to hang out with the likes of mm. you, and uh, it's been a long journey since then. It has indeed. So you're a swimmer kid, and I was just saying before we started, you know, I, I was a swimmer for a couple of years, but I was sort of uh, regional at best, but you were sort of very much a national level. Um Tell us, you know, we, what it's like being a swimmer kid when you're sort of in that, I don't know, your, your teenage years. What is, What was it like and, and do you recall what motivated you back then? Looking back is certainly different from when you're, you're living it. Yeah. It's definitely one of those sports I would put in with the likes of triathlon, definitely rowing, mm. maybe boxing and that there's a really high... Uh, cardiovascular requirement as far as training goes mm -hmm. there's definitely no given financial reward long term yeah. so the motivation needs to be intrinsic and one of the cool things about my parents and that family support that was there that was a big part of it but my parents never woke me up to go to a training yeah. the rule was I had to get myself up and I remember moving into town from the country Early on, 4.30 a.m. starts yeah. to get out of bed. We did that four mornings a week and on Saturdays as well. I'm looking forward, uh, forward. that was probably um, a little bit too much, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but certainly doing the hard yards. And that motivation, I, I can't say where it came from, but it's certainly from within myself. Mm. You had to want to do it. And mm. clearly I did throughout my teenage years. We certainly did some yards in the pool. You were probably pretty successful early on. Maybe that was part of it. Yeah, well actually very early and I can clearly remember about 12, 11 and 12, I was okay. Hmm. I was getting some places but there were certainly people that were better than me hmm. and what made the difference was I was consistent with my training and I did the work hmm. and over time... I, I wasn't talented, I don't think, as some as much as some other people, but I... Damn, Hibs, Hibs family. The Hibs family. <laughs> oh. Did you see Sean Hibs' uh, 200 backstroke record got broken just the other day? <laughs> no. Like 25 years on. Really? Yeah. But yeah, some very talented people, but it, for me, it was more about the work. Yeah. Um, now, I, I do recall, and I don't remember when this was, uh, I think I must have been swimming up and down in the Surf Tri Masters uh, squad, and then you, you were coming in in your, your Navy uniform at God knows what age, and swimming with the kids who are probably you know, 15, 16, whatever, and you, so you made a bit of a comeback, um, and I don't remember what age that was. What 33 years old, what, and I was what, in the Air Force. What, what, <laughs> what motivated you to come back at that stage, and were you, you were competing open rather than doing Masters stuff? I have always kept in touch with swimming. 
I think one of the saddest things about any sport is when someone is a kid or a teenager and they love it. And for some reason, whatever process they go through in that sport, they end up not enjoying it and never do it again. That's one of the saddest things for me. And that's something I always bear in mind as a coach. If you've got a passion, you want to nurture that. And it's something that should be with you in Mm. some part for the rest of your life. And for me... I have been lucky. There's been times where it's been down. I think I maybe want to step away from swimming, but always found ways to find my back, my way back to love the sport again. And I had an opportunity. I got a posting down here with the Air Force in the recruiting office, and it was it had some routine. Mm. So it was a chance to do some more swimming. And because I've always been in touch with swimming, my times were still reasonable and I wanted to go somewhere to compete because I do Mm. enjoy competing on occasion and I thought that the open circuit was going to provide that better than the master's circuit and I was still at an age and I remember looking at some of the American swimmers in the 30s and you still Mm. get that case if you still do the work physiologically Mm. you're still more than able to compete and that you know I went to nationals and uh, still managed to scrape into a final so Mm -hmm. clearly it was was okay it was a rewarding process and it was a chance for me you know, almost 10 years later, to revisit the national scene. And that's also good from a coaching perspective. I'd imagine your, your outlook on training and would be quite different to what the, the rest of the group was when you're swimming there with sort of 15, 16-year-olds. It, it is. You don't want to waste time. Yeah. Uh, luckily, <laughs> I think I, I, in our teenage years, looking back for me, we were very lucky to have some people with the knowledge and the passion who set some good structure that worked for me definitely. So, you know, training starts at that time, get in and get on with the work. Mm. And that's what I would do when I'd turn up for training in my 30s when I come back with the kids. And one of the reasons I was allowed into the squad is to set that kind of example as well. But also, as we get older, as I'm sure you're, we become time scarce, time mm. short. So we want to get best return for what we're doing. So not only turning up, getting on with the job, getting the training done, but also thinking about, hang on a minute, what type of training what's going to give me the best return for for mm. the work that i'm doing right now rather than coming along standing around the side of the pool 15 minutes and uh all of a sudden an hour and a half turns to two and a half hours so t- tell us about what you do what you do now because you split your time between christchurch and new zealand and then also over in london so maybe just explain you know what you what you set up as these days and how you maybe how you how you came about to where you are now I went on leave in the Air Force on a little mm. holiday, mm. as you do, with no intention to change careers. I ended up in London, and there's a wealth of pools and a wealth of history there, but they also trend-wise tend to be a little bit uh, ahead of what we might experience here in some fields. And we have, I, I tell the story all the time, we spent the last 30 years covering all of our swimming pools. Mm. We're at a unique point in history where the whole population is more removed from the natural environment than they've ever been. There are a few little patches around London where they had outdoor pools and community groups have protected them. And I stumbled onto one of those. Mm. And at the same time, also stumbled onto a company that was guiding swim holidays. And they were literally just taking adults and saying, let's swim to that island. But as a Mm. small group, and instead of doing it competitively, let's do it sportively. And that was another spark for me that got me excited about swimming again. But I saw a whole lot of adults that would come along and weren't prepared for it. So thought maybe I could start a little program for this and that program exploded in London and I really enjoyed it but the only thing missing was home I love New Zealand and <laughs> so much water here I thought maybe we can do part of this back here smaller population base back here 
So what we do is a little bit broader, but I started exporting it to New Zealand. It started out where I do more time in London, then I split mm-hmm. my time, and these days it's about nine months in New Zealand and three months over in the UK. Gives me the best of the global open water swimming scene, so I really find out what's going on. That's fantastic, and I meet clients from around the world, but we're really starting to build that in New Zealand. We've got two parts to it, Fit and Able, so Able based on my surname, that's the mm-hmm. swim coaching brand, and then Real Swim Adventures is that love that I've found for sport of open water swimming, where we just take people out, and for the most part, it's people without a swimming background, but they're looking for a challenge, and there's that island over here, or there's that lake, and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be big, two, three, whatever K, can we swim across it? And not only that, and I'm sure you're aware of this, would sometimes we go to these fantastic locations for competitions mm. and we'd smash out the competition and then you'd leave and you'd be like, what did that location look like? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I, I didn't see too much of it. So the whole idea with real swimming is taking the time to stop every now and then and pop your head up and going, this is a gorgeous location. Mm. So all of that's really built on my competitive swimming background and we've added the sported side to it and now it's about taking it to the masses so we really want to be inclusive those who didn't have a teenage swimming career who cares we've taught mm. people to learn to swim in their 50s and 60s that then pick some goals and it's something that they can now do for the rest of their life it's exciting and now you've, you've done some ultras as well some of the some, mm-hmm. some of the classics so in new zealand we've got the the cook straight swim um, yes. over in the uk you've got the channel crossing yep. and recently was it this last year you did around rarotonga did. um so Maybe explain a bit about ultra distance swimming and and what your experience with it has been compared to perhaps what you were expecting. Just like my current profession, my long distance swimming, I kind of stumbled onto it. Yeah, and it was without intending to. First, I did some more five k's, and then I did my first ten k swims. Did some more ten k's, then fourteen k swims, and I guess it's like anyone that's a little bit motivated or driven, you're looking for that next challenge. Mm. And the world scale, there's something called the Ocean Seven now, Mm -hmm. which uh, Stephen Monotone has invented, really, seven of the unique or most interesting swims. They're not the seven hardest ones, Mm. but they're certainly unique and iconic. And he coined that term and it's just growing exponentially, it's snowball. So a lot of people are chasing those seven big ultra swims. In New Zealand, actually in the 80s, I think was the last time we had a really strong ultra swimming fraternity and we lost that, that a lot of that knowledge mm-hmm. disappeared and it died for a time. And this present time, we've got a growth, a spurt here. Part of it spurred on, I think, by Ocean 7, but just so happened we have enough people up and down the country with an interest in ultra swimming. And mine first started with reconnecting with Philip Rush, who was probably the leader Mm. of that group in the 80s. And we talked about doing the Cook Strait. And for me, that happened in 2013. And I've had a big swimming background. I've always been in touch, like I said, but still lots of learning there. So it's exciting from a coaching perspective as well to be learning. The Cook Strait for overseas listeners is swimming between the, the north and the south island of the country. That's right. It's 26 kilometers. It is unique, though, the water temperature varies greatly across it, so about four degrees Celsius change hmm. in temperatures went across. And also from the east to west side, the current tables, the tide tables, are completely different. Huh. So it, on some days, the tides will run as advertised. On other days, the tides will run 12 hours in one direction. So the crew that deliver the swims here right now, Philip Rush and his team, 
have about almost 100 years of knowledge between mm. them and they know that they don't know everything. And so it's quite a unique swim where a little bit of speed will get you help you get across, but on a given day, if the tides dictate and, and nature plays the game, it You're can screwed. just blow you out the side yeah. Yeah, quite easily. So that was a really interesting first big, big swim for me. And uh, I got very lucky in the conditions. So typical for a big marathon swim, we try and execute a six hour training swim. And luckily for me, and I guess with a bit of background, my actual swim only took six hours 15. Mm. So that was one of the bigger crossings. It wasn't time-wise, wasn't mm. what we call ultra, ultra. That that waited till last year when I took on the English Channel. Mm. Tell us about that, because uh, English Channel, you know, that's one that a lot of people will know about. Um, a, it's, it's pretty costly to do, I, I believe. I, don't, I know very little about it. So maybe just tell us if, if someone's thinking, oh, I'd like to do the English Channel. What are sort of the processes of going through to actually make it happen uh, financially and then maybe start to talk through for, for a Joe Blogs what sort of training they'd need to expect and what they'd need to be ready for? That's right. You talked about cost mm. and that's one of the first things for me that jumps into mind. It is to just book the book the boat for the crossing to take you across because it's the busiest shipping lane in the world. Mm. So you need a licensed English Channel Swimming charter boat and there aren't too many so you need to book well in advance typically two years in advance mm. that's not a bad thing though because most people getting ready you need a, a solid amount of time and more than one season mm. you don't just want to be building up to the distances you want to do that a few times to get that experience to help get everything reduce that risk of things going wrong um, so 2,800 pounds just to book, book the boat. Then you've got to join the swimming association, another 300 pounds. And yeah, you're yeah. going, oh my goodness. It's just like an Ironman, yeah, I yeah. guess. When you, you pay your entry fee, you've got to buy your bicycle and all your running, your nutrition, it adds up and adds up. So the first thing I'd say is think about all this and then measure your level of commitment. So for me, I'd love to do lots of things, but I look at have I got the time? The motivation, that's the most important, and then the financial means. And I don't want it to break my bank and break me. So mm. I want to make sure it's manageable. And luckily with the lifestyle I currently lead, I'm based in England for three months. So mm. I, I was there and I'm earning some pounds. Mm. So that also makes it more palatable as opposed to coming from New Zealand where you're mm. transferring that. Now with the Ocean 7 as well, English Channel is one of those seven swims. So it's very popular. And another element of the swim these days which mm, might be a bit harsh with a little controversial it's inclusive in that they've allowed relays to take part now mm. and that's great because it allows people to experience the swim to a lesser extent however it's meant that bookings are now even harder to come by mm. so you really have to plan in advance for that like I said, count your pennies and make sure you're motivated to do the training. And I think the thing that catches most people out when they start talking to me about planning a swim, well, give yourself a couple of years. Mm. And for many people, setting a goal that, that is that far down the track is quite hard to mm -hmm. digest to start off with. So that comes back to the basics. Well, then give yourself manageable chunks. Mm. So book a 5K swim in three months' time. Do you do the training? Have you got the motivation to get there? Then pick a 10K. And if you've done a 10K, pick another 10K. Do that well. Then maybe start looking for an intermediate one. We have the 17.5K Epic Epic in January, which we often get people to. And if you make it that far and you're still hungry, well, we know that you've probably got enough left in the tank motivation mm. to get you on a good training program then to take on something like the English Channel or the Cook Straight. 
And so water temperatures is often, um, we hear a lot about that, you know, for, for, for so that swim, for example. Um, how big a deal is it? Do you need to pack on the flab or, uh, you know, what, what's it sort of like going across there and how cold do you get? Water temperature is an issue and it's, it's a multi-layered answer, I would say. At the start of our chat, I talked about us covering all the swim pools. Yeah. Most of us now have trained more indoors than we have outdoors and we have adapted to those sorts of temperatures and we're used to swimming and I was swimming indoors yesterday for the first time this mm-hmm. summer and it's comfortable mm. always comfortable you're never used to being even a little bit chilled which is a standard expectation for open water and that's not a bad thing it's just like pushing ourselves cardiovascularly it's getting that little bit uncomfortable it takes some acclimatization and in anything psychologically physiologically the human population we have a distribution And we'll fit individually somewhere into that distribution. Some people naturally be able to handle the cold really well. Some people will struggle a lot. And most of us fit somewhere in the middle. Mm. But with all of us, we are able to adapt along that spectrum to a, a degree. And it's about taking time. So the thing that always gets me frowning and just shaking my head is when someone's been swimming in 28 degrees water and they go, I've got to cold swim so I'm going to jump into 15 degrees and swim for an hour and a half Mm. that's not giving yourself a nice progression or a chance to get ready for it you have to get your head around it so getting used to being uncomfortable the body still works perfectly well even when we're uncomfortable and then from there it's building up the progression so my best adaptation I swam uh, 9.7k at 11 degrees celsius without a wetsuit and from our, our background, mm. I, I would have thought that was impossible. But after spending two, three years in the UK, where a lot of people have the attitude, well, the weather's rubbish, I'm just going to do it anyway. Mm. Yes, maybe adding a little bit of fat. So as an elite swimmer, my body fat's 6%. You definitely want to be in the double figures. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to be excessive either. I think of a lovely artist that swims with us in the UK called Pip. And Pip is in her 70s. And she is very lean. And she'll do an hour in the swim squad down to 15 degrees. Mm. There's management that you can do, but you also need to acclimatize and you also need to get your head around it. But the key is always progression, progression, and use a progression rate that works for you. And it takes years Mm. to get used to it. It really does. The English Channel, when I swam, 17 degrees Celsius. So that's Mm -hmm. 11 hours in there. And uh, nutrition's key to keeping Mm -hmm. warm as well as keeping you going. English Channel, uh, like I said, 17 degrees, cook straight. Uh, vary between 15 and 18 degrees and then we talked about the last one I did, uh, last year Rarotonga there's another 11 hour swim 23 degrees mm. so that changed again how we looked at our energy management and the water temperature affected how the, the swim actually progressed. In, in terms of speed you know how fast do you actually need to be to actually be able to make it, you know, in terms of say the the, the cross at the English Channel. Because I know the big part of that is is the tides. So I know you don't have to be in. A, you know, you are a very very good swimmer. Um, but how fast do you actually need to be to actually go? I've got a realistic shot at doing this. Is it like two minutes per hundred, one forty five per hundred? What sort of speed do people sort of ability wise need to be, or to get themselves to to actually th- to to realistically be able to do it? Twenty minute k's is mm. a good three k an hour mm-hmm. is a good measure that's something i'll be looking for below that i'd be concerned Mm -hmm. but here's the cruncher because you'll get asked what your pace is by a pilot who's running a swim they're not asking what 
you can swim after an hour mm. or two hours. They're asking at nine hours, what pace are you holding? Mm. And so I, having never done a triathlon, mm. yeah. <laughs> I guess I, I would make some assumptions between an Olympic distance and mm -hmm. an Ironman. Mm. And one of the traps, I'm assuming, with an Ironman, especially people coming up, is going out too hard. Mm. And I liken it in swimming as, you know, as almost someone's got a leash on you at the start because you feel fresh, you feel good, but if you work at a pace that's on your edge, you are definitely going to suffer later on. So mm. the first part of a long-distance swim is usually about patience. And then the second half is about consistency. Can you maintain what you were doing at the start? Mm. And in simple terms for training, for me, that means at the start, I'm building a base, stability, uh, base fitness to remove risk of injury. And then I'm working on pace to get a reasonable pace as much as I can, usually working above the paces that I'm looking to hold for my marathon swimming. And then I'm bringing it down mm -hmm. and extending it, adding the endurance part to it. And you learn all of those phases. You learn the patience. You've got to learn what it feels like to hold that pace because you've got to have confidence early on that going that slow is okay mm. and then towards the end you've got to be able to maintain it so the tides in the english channel can actually help you get across mm. but you've got to match it with your consistent speed the it's a bit of an art for the what we call the the pilot the pilot uh and boat captain doing it for you because they'll be calculating your pace with the tide mm. and the english channel tide they, they, they know very well but if your pace changes, that messes up the calculations a bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it very much sounds like reverse periodization, which we do a lot in Ironman is, you know, classic periodization has you speeding up as you're getting closer to your to your events. You know, in terms of swimming events, you'd kind of do your base and then more of your strength and then you do your speed as you're going through there. But obviously speed is, is you know, similar to Ironman. You don't need that much when it comes, comes to race day. Um, so in terms of sort of, common errors like have you coached that many people that have actually done these events yep. and coach cook straight uh most of the new zealand swims taupo plenty of 10ks now english channel um the, and i i think we've covered most of them but first for me motivation mm. and also have you got the capacity and it's it's okay to say well actually you know i've had people they've got a young family on the way you're about to change jobs just check that you're not about to overload yourself. And there's a nice, easy way to do that. You just set it as a long-term goal and then set some nice small goals, like I said, the 5K or the 10K swim, chip away at those. And if you do that and you're still keen but you haven't got the time, do another one. Because the more experience you've got under your belt, the greater your chance of success when you do get to that, that big goal. So then structuring a plan and being patient with the plan. Mm -hmm. We like to say that the newer generation want things immediately. <laughs> well, I would say that some of the older generation yeah. are guilty of that at times as well. You need to be patient. And for if for those who, you and I are lucky, John, in that we spent our teenage years laying a mm. base. And there's no way around it. That is a benefit for us in the longer term, those that, that did some work in their teenage years. Having said that, those that haven't, it's still a fun challenge developing those skills but you need to be patient with it the one thing you can't rush is time so for a big event give yourself time to get ready you'll enjoy it more you'll reduce your risk of injury you'll increase your chances of success so time and then have a nice structured progressive plan that also includes 
uh, an element of fun. So mm. pick events that you want to do that'll help keep you motivated because there's no way around it to do a big swim, just like an Ironman, you have to do the work. Mm. And sometimes that work becomes a grind. The more that you can add some enjoyment, go to a fun place to do an event, mm. um, add in group elements where you've got people, you can have some banter. Any of those little tangents will help enhance your enjoyment. That enhances motivation and just increases uh, performance in your training and then uh, increases the chances of success at the end. Um, and in terms of actually going through the event, so a lot of our listeners will have done Ironman and it will take them you know, between 9 hours and um, 17 hours. So they'll kind of know, okay, I can go for that long, but obviously we're on the bike and we're on the run and you've got lots of things going on around you and you can see people. This is more, it's just you looking down, not at the black line, but looking down at the bottom of the water and just grinding it out now some some of these races they'll have some some things around the side you can sort of keep an eye on but maybe talk us through your experience in the events that you've done plus the feedback you've had from athletes that have done these events in terms of getting through the race and how to to stay on top of it both from a mental perspective and from a energy you've sort of said about pacing but more mentally how you actually get through these races i did the Oterara Wilderness Run the oh, yeah. weekend. It's yeah. a big one for me. I did the 20k run. And I'm always my mind's always ticking over when we do these things. The gun goes and we start the run at the weekend. And as for me as well, I, I these days I've never done as much work as I'd like to. Probably mm. similar to you. We're always mm. got we're balancing it with life. And so I try and keep it controlled at the start. And then I was just thinking, well, now what else is different here compared to swimming? I was like, I know. I can hear sounds, and if I want to talk to someone right now, mm. I can. When your swim starts, your head is down in the water, and immediately you're alone with your thoughts. And if you are not used to managing your headspace, mm. that can be a battle straight away. And I talked earlier about being patient in your swim, and this is where it becomes a challenge because you're fresh, you want to go, and your mind is really ticking over early on, and that's a time where it can start to question Question, question, doubt, I missed this part of training, etc. What I look for, if a swimmer has done the work consistently over the preceding months and years, that is the best indication they'll be able to manage the swim because it is very lonely. The only time you've got to interact really with the crew is during your feeding stops. Mm. And the irony is you want those feeding stops to be as quick as you possibly can because mm. <laughs> you're doing a lot of them mm. and they will add up over the time. So a rule of thumb is to get the feed in early, but that's your only interaction. Otherwise, you're head down and you're alone. But the cool thing about swimming, the similarities to long distance running, you do get lost mm. in yourself. That, that zen-like moment, and that's what we're trying to find when we're out there. So you want to be comfortable in your stroke and your rhythm. You know what it is. You get that set and then you try and get lost in it. And you do for times. Mm. But you also doubt yourself. And part of my coaching mantra that I give to swimmers is that you will have highs and lows regardless. And I remember swimming the English Channel and swimming a segment and I do 30-minute feeds. And I remember in a 30-minute feed being so depressed, I almost wanted to cry. <laughs> And I was just the focus was just keep swimming, but I felt so miserable out there. Then we had a feed, and I swam the next 30 minutes, and I was euphoric, mm. so excited. It was amazing. And I thought to myself, what's changed between that segment and this one? 
And the answer was absolutely nothing. Mm. There was no uh, feedback, sensory changes, nothing. It was just the way that my body and mind was working chemically. And it's really important, I think, to understand that. And I'm sure it will happen in an Ironman as well. You hear people talk about those dark places. Mm. Often that's just the way the body works. You just keep that. And in swimming, it's obviously one stroke after the other. Mm. Um, sure, in running, one foot after mm. the next. Just keep it going and acknowledge what I try and do is separate myself from my body. Okay, my body's upset now, but I'm here with my goal in mind and I am going to get there no matter what. And I'll write it out. And I... Um, reassure myself mentally that I'm going to come out of the lows mm. and 99.9% we, we do without doing anything it will go away it's kind of you just accept it and just recognize it but accept it and then just push on exactly <laughs> um, do you do much backstroke when you're going through these swims or is it are you just basically cranking out freestyle like do you do, do, you, do you in training uh, no more, more so in the in the races do you intentionally do backstroke just to, to break it up a little bit and get the arms moving in a slightly different way or is it pretty much usually just cranking out freestyle no I would say to you it's probably like if you're at the end of an Ironman and you're mm. 30 k's into your run mm. trying to change the rhythm mm -hmm. you imagine trying to do your some of your warm-up activities, mm. you'd be like, my body doesn't want to do that right yeah. now. So when you do the big ones, you get into your rhythm with your freestyle or for those around the world, your front crawl. Mm. And my mantra is maintain. Usually when we start off, that's our best, our mm. best form, our best everything. Mm. We don't have to put in more effort. We don't have to change anything magically. Just keep doing what you're doing. And that's mm. one of my mantras, just mm. maintain. And I often check in with key points in the stroke. I won't change it as far as going backstroke or any other stroke because as much as maybe you'd like to stretch out, I don't find that particularly helpful. I might move, say, my distance per stroke a little bit mm -hmm. to stretch out a little bit, but other than that, I'll maintain one stroke. So what's on the horizon for you in terms of swims? You know, what's on your bucket list of things you want to you wanna do? You've done round Rarotonga and you've mentioned the big seven and things like that. Is that a high motivator for you or are you more looking for those adventures? You know, um, I know there's a, a, a swim in um, Tonga, I think it is, that you you might be going to. Is there is there places you just desperately want to go and swim? I, I want to do it all. I love it. Maybe <laughs> yeah. like yourself, yeah. you know, you probably go to Kona and you'd love to go back and just refine that. I'd love to do Cook Strait again. I haven't swum Lake Taupo and that's a big one for New Zealanders, 40.2K. Yeah. Um, they're probably top of my list. Um, Catalina uh, Channel Swim off the States there is another big one. So they're kind of mainstream ones that I'd love mm. to do, but they're expensive as well. Mm. And part of my passion now is helping other people achieve their goals so it's always balanced one of the first questions people ask after a successful event often is what's next mm. and i try and encourage people just to savor it mm -hmm. and i put a lot of work in last year for two big events mm. and i have savored those and now i'm working hard on some other events to do with work and do with life and then once i'm satisfied I've ticked some other goals to keep it balanced mm -hmm. it was, then I'll come back and look at some bigger ones and I'll just talk about last year I did the English Channel and I did Round Raro mm. and there was a reason for doing the English Channel world renowned everyone knows about it mm. and big expense around Rarotonga no one knows about it no one's done it mm. less expense because it's not so and it really hit home to me it was a fantastic swim and part of the challenge was only two people had done it before and that was in the 80s and most of that knowledge was gone 
Mm. We had to figure it out for ourselves. Mm. English Channel was all laid out. Everyone knows what to do. This one, no idea. Mm. And for me, that was really exciting. What are the tides doing? What are the risks of doing it this way? Had to create my own team. That was really exciting. So quite often we get caught up in, let's do it because everyone else is doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, And especially in New Zealand. New Zealand's a massive playground. Mm. You can have just as much reward on one of your training runs as you can out on an actual event. Mm. So I like the idea, and you asked me that question, so mark the space, you can probably see me next summer going out there and inventing some swim in mm. New Zealand. Oh, absolutely. We're, we're, uh, we're scouting and, and doing, and hopefully people will get motivated by that and follow in our footsteps and do that swim afterwards as well. Cool. Now we had uh, the mountain snail John Hancock. I don't know if you bumped into him at the Brecker. Which Brecker did you, you did uh, Wanaka Brecker? Didn't I did you? Wanaka. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think he was doing Bay of Islands this year. But he's yep. he, he's a a Brecker lover. He's done uh, lots of try stuff as well. But he had a whole bunch of questions around goggles, um, yep. especially in light we had the Commonwealth Games on recently uh, for our Commonwealth countries, and you saw a lot of the swimmers coming out of the water there, and that they double capped it, so they had a cap on, then they had a lot of them had their goggles, and then they had their mm. cap over the top. So we've got a bunch of questions from John on, on caps, so on, on swim goggles. So um, in, in terms of um, under the cap, um, do you go under the cap or over the cap, or what are the reasons for, for making each of those choices? The best choice is the best choice for you, and part of your training is figuring out the one that you prefer. Some considerations, if you put your goggles on top of the cap, they'll help to keep your swim cap on. Mm. And if you need to adjust your goggles, and primarily even take them all the way off, you're able to do that fairly easily. If you put your goggles under the cap, when your cap starts to slide off, at least it won't impact the goggles Mm -hmm. Um, when it's on top if i'm doing a longer swim and the cap slides it changes the tension on the goggles and that can result in headaches Mm. um you you do see that a lot more i'm seeing it a lot more a lot of events with different qualities of swim caps i remember dylan mcneese is a classic for his swim cap seems to come off every bloody swim that he does or really starts to slide up Mm -hmm. so so yeah it is a consideration and back in the days it seemed to be swim caps stayed on quite well but there there does seem to be a lot of variation we used to be latex back then didn't we i guess we're Mm. silicon now um so the the quality's definitely changed there i opened my old box in a storage the other (laughs) week and they were all latex caps yeah so that's changed a lot under the cap the goggles uh, won't be affected by the, the swim cap, but it's going to come off. And for this summer, I don't know why. I've just lost about every single swim cap and every event <laughs> that I've done. I know some of the guys on the longer swims put tape on the front and back yeah. to help uh, hold it in place. The two caps, there's, there's two reasons we might do that. Uh, in the open water, it's insulation. Mm-hmm. Two caps makes a massive difference to that ice cream headache mm-hmm. impact of cooler water. So that's a, it's a a good activity to use if you are affected by an ice cream headache. In the pool, they'll be doing it uh, more for, well, either performance part of their psych, mm-hmm. the cap they have to wear, sometimes they have a lucky cap, mm. or just to keep the hair in place. Mm-hmm. And then they will have practiced having cap, goggle, cap. But I'd be wary as an amateur doing that, unless you've practiced it a lot, that's a lot of fluffing around yeah. with a setup, and there's a lot more that can go around there, uh, go wrong. So I'd just be cautious with that. Now, John had some questions about the goggles as far as fogging. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, or first, he had uh, tinted or plain uh, goggles. So 
obviously do you, do you vary your goggles much based off the conditions and, and what makes you change your, your the, the tint of the goggles? Uh, well, plain goggles, the clear ones, maybe at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, or if you're swimming indoors. These days, though, if you're outdoors, I'd suggest you want something on the lens. Mm-hmm. And uh, my lens these days tend to be polarized. Mm-hmm. And that way I'm getting protection if the sun's out or I can still at least see if it's dark. So I, for those that know me, know I'm a Zogs fan and I have a bit more relationship with them because I do find their goggles fit more faces than fit mine in, indeed. Mm-hmm. I like their polarized lenses and I've used them in all my swims. They've been comfortable and I think that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Is a goggle comfortable? Uh, does it not leak? Mm-hmm. Uh, and can you see out of it? <laughs> They're really the key criteria. I always just shake my head as well when people say, oh, is this a good open water swimming goggle? Yeah. Is it comfortable? Yeah. Does it not leak? Can you see out of it? There you go. There's your open water swim goggle. Yeah. yeah. And what, what about sort of the bright lenses, pink and oranges and things like that? Yep. So blue and orange, they will lighten things up on a dark day, which is great if the day is staying dark. Mm. Um, but for me... I, I can't think of any swimmer at the conditions have been that consistent. Mm-hmm. So I like to cover my bases. Um, we talk about having two sets of goggles on hand, and that is a rule that I always adhere to. I have been in the UK with an Irishman who I've coached all season long, and for whatever reason, I didn't emphasize this, I was swimming the 10K event along with him, and he got 100 meters into his 10K and his goggles broke, yeah. and he didn't have a backup here. <laughs> And he didn't want to swim without goggles. So his whole season work came down to that critical element. And it could be as stupid as you're getting ready and someone accidentally stands on your goggles. Mm. And all of that work, all that effort comes down to that. So I always have a backup here. And that way you can have perhaps a clear and a tint. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the polarized lens will take care of all of that for you. It allows more light in just fine when it's dark. But when it's bright, it will help shade you as well. Um, you do, he did have the question, old uh, mountain snail, about uh, cleaning goggles. So yep. whether you use plain water, whether you use washing liquid, do you use anti-fog, do you rinse them, do you touch the lenses? So your advice for, for keeping your goggles clean and uh, giving them some sort of longevity. Yep. Always rinse your goggles. Mm-hmm. Don't put your fingers in your goggles mm-hmm. because you'll generally have either there will be some sediment in them, especially for open water swimming, a bit of sand, a bit of dirt. If and the classic is uh, a long fingernail. Mm-hmm. If you're smudging your finger, use that fingernail. We'll do a little bit of scratching as well. If you put your fingers in your goggle, you will scratch it, mm-hmm. no matter what. So I will generally just rinse it in fresh water, shake it out a little bit, and let it dry naturally in the shade. And I always, if you look in my swim bag, it's full of goggle cases. Mm-hmm. I always put them back in the case. If you don't put them in a the case. They're going to get scratched as well. Mm. Um, a couple of other random questions I had. When you're doing these um, long open water swims, what are the, the rules around um, like wearing music and, and also equipment and things like that? Yep, that's a really good question. And it's very topical right now. We're just drafting guidance to put on fitnable.com for marathon swimmers because a lot more New Zealanders are getting into it. Mm. And there is more education required. We're not governed by a specific body, but there is a Marathon Swim Federation, and Marathon Swim Federation have a website. 
they will have guidance. The generally accepted format for a marathon swim is that you don't wear a wetsuit and that you have one goggles, one cap and your swimsuit, no music. You can wear earplugs though to protect your ears. That's accepted these days. And that you don't touch the boat or anyone else mm-hmm. during the swim. So you can do, so that is your standard format for a marathon swim. And that's what the majority of us conform to. Then we're also about inclusivity. So you might want to wear a wetsuit mm-hmm. or you might want to touch the boat. That then becomes an assisted swim. And the only gripe I guess we have in the community is that when people don't specifically declare what they're doing. Mm. So when someone says they're doing a marathon swim of the Cook Strait, they automatically is to assume that you're doing what everyone else is doing. Mm. Non-wetsuit, not touching the boat. It's okay to wear a wetsuit if you want to and touch the boat, but my recommendation, my request, is that you declare that beforehand. Mm. So we don't say... Dan's done a cook straight swim and then you have a look at some photographs and hang on a minute, he yeah. was wearing a wetsuit and then sitting on the boat at halfway having a cup of soup. Yeah. So to go along with that, and it's just the nature of the times, unfortunately there are people in every sport that are dishonest. Mm-hmm. So we have the requirement to have some sort of data, tracking data. Usually a watch is fine. We use spot trackers as well mm-hmm. so that we can measure your swim and just ensure that your distance and time matches up with the tides of the day. It's a good way to mm. for a, a um, second party to have a look and and look and see that the swimmers run as you've said it. And then also have an independent observer. Mm. And they'll simply take notes throughout the swim, your feed times, how you're progressing, what's going on. And then if someone wants to query your swim, then you've got some actual proof that you can provide that you've mm. done it. And also secondary benefit for that, it helps you learn from it. Mm. So I always say to people, when they're getting ready for a long distance swim, they're not just training themselves, they're training their crew. So it's probably just like doing, uh, I don't know, maybe not Ironman, but certainly say a coast to coast. Mm. Your support crew are really important. Same with a long distance swim. They're not there just as a tourist. Mm. They should know your nuances, your behaviours, how your food works and be able to have some leeway to adjust it mm. as you're going through that. And by documenting a swim, it not only shows people that you did the swim as you said, but you can also learn from it. So mm. we've got some really good notes from my swims, including I call out when I'm going to the toilet. Mm. That shows that the hydration's working, I'm <laughs> relaxed. And I know it's kind of, we chuckle about it, but there are numerous instances of swims that fail because people can't go to the toilet. Mm. or they got really hydrated mm. and they missed one of the key curses. They've been swimming for nine hours and haven't even been for a pee. Mm. Something's going wrong there. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's good times ahead. Good to see you. you know, we're very lucky to have you in Christchurch doing so much. So um, if you guys want to check out the websites, maybe just give those websites another plug in terms of your, your coaching and also the adventures and stuff. Thanks, John. So fitenable.com for mm-hmm. all your swim coaching needs and then Real Swim Adventures. We're passionate about New Zealand what it's got to offer. If you want to come and swim the lakes and the oceans with us, realswimadventures.com. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Dan. Thanks, John. Right, Bevan, we'll do a bit of uh, wanger of the week. A wanger? I don't know how you're doing nowadays, John. So who are you pulling up? 
So I'm just going to go a random number between 1 and 100 because uh, we can now go onto Strava and still see the top 100. Uh, and it's going to be number 41. Who did the? Who was 41 on our training last week? It was do, 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 Jeremy Remini. He did 17 hours of training, 11 nice, sessions. Nice, that's solid. Yeah, nice. two hours 39 in the water, 12.16 on the bike, two hours and four minutes on the run. He's ninth overall on the up to Iona hill climb. And nice. The la in 2018, he did 3,297 kilometres on the bike. He did, all, he, he did more than double what I did on the bike, Bevan, because I only did 1,500 bike, 1,500 uh Ride fifteen hundred kilometers riding, all time. Really, but last year. Yeah, what did I, what was I up to last year? I mean, it's this year. It's this year. Oh. Sorry, twenty eighteen. I was say you would have thought you were ridden more last year. Yeah, no, I did a lot last year. Yeah. Uh, so there you go, Jeremy. I know it's short and sweet. He looks like he, Jeremy's a Kiwi. Lives up uh, around Hastings Way. Went riding oh. with Ian Robertson this week. Oh, good stuff. There you go, Jeremy okay, Ramirez. You are our wanger of the week. And if you want to be wanger, just go to Strava and join our club. It's IM Talk Podcast. Jumbo questions mm -hmm. and answers. Okay, just one here. Adrian, was it Moi Moi Foy? Adrian Fui Fui Moi Moi. Fui Fui Moi Moi. He just sent through an email just saying how um, our discussion around trying to do non M dot races and you know he really loved the idea of you know not always turning up and doing M dot races but he said, said you know then we lose Wanaka and he said it was a bit of a bummer because he was hoping to do Wanaka next year do the full distance and with them not doing the full distance it was a bit of a bummer for him and I think that's one of the problems is if we're not going to support these races now Wanaka is still going to exist but that long distance race you know we've got to that's another reason to do non M dot races is that if you support the smaller races, they're going to stay around in a longer period of time. Absolutely. I just think it's, you know, a great way to see the world and uh, experience different courses. And I don't know. I've, I've always just been in the opinion, you know, that you don't need thousands of people out there. My optimal for a race would be about 500 people doing a full, maybe 500, maximum 1,000. And uh, and then you can kind of do your race. You don't have to stress about drafting. Um, I suppose you don't quite get the, the the big numbers there in terms of the atmosphere around the finish. But, yeah, the, you know, the perfect race would be about 500 in the full, another 500 to 1,000 and a half, and, uh, and you're away. It's a little bit like well, Taiwan this weekend, Challenge Taiwan. They've got, yeah. I think, um, was it a sort of? 800 and then 1,200. Yeah, thirteen hundred. Yeah, it's a great number, man. These races have got you know two, three, three thousand plus. It's just too bloody many people on the course. So, get out there, people. Go to go do the race in Algeria. Do a late entry for this weekend. It's <laughs> good prize some money. money. You might win some money. Uh, he was also saying, saying he wants us to be his tourist guide, and, and to be honest, we're not the best tourist guides. But he's got. Can I ask some? Uh, you give me some local knowledge. If we're planning to stay a week after the race down in the region, is Wanaka the best day, this place to stay for the week? say flying home on Saturday, or do we just split the time between Wanaka, Christchurch, or somewhere else? What do you do, John? I'd stay in Wanaka. Wanaka and Queenstown. Best part of the country. Yeah, yeah, Wanaka, Queenstown. So you probably split it maybe a few days in Wanaka. Mm. Although you, you go up Mount Roy if you want, although you probably wouldn't feel that. Oh, after a half, you probably could. Yeah. Um, and then Queenstown's got all the adventure stuff to do as well. So, yeah. Christchurch is great, but it's not much of a tourist destination right now. Mm. Yeah, there you go. 
So Even I watched a, a bit of London Marathon on Sunday. I've never really watched much marathon running before. I thought this was going to be boring as batshit, but this field in the London Marathon was stellar. And I know I really don't follow marathon running, but they had the guy that was doing the um, did the sub went for the sub two hour uh, race. Kipchoge. Kip, uh, yeah, running and uh, and and then they had a they were they were looking to try to go for a world record in the females race. It was a bit hot conditions, so all you London marathon runners it was pretty toasty by the look of it. It was not crazy hot, but hot enough to make a massive difference when you're running a marathon. So uh, what was the time then? So what was the time for the both male and female? Well, they were both all on were on course for world records early on because you do okay. have a in London it's a bit of a downhill um, start for the first five k, but the woman went through five k and 15.46 and that, that was on, on on course for it was equaling the, up, up to about Redcliffe. 15k they were equaling Paula Radcliffe's world record because well, it's about 218 isn't it no it's 2.15 there but that's with pacemakers and that was the difference of this race they they had male pacemakers for the females oh. race which Paula Radcliffe had and so in the women's racing you have a world record with pacemakers and then you have a world best time without pacemakers um, oh, okay. so it does differentiate between the two but it got a bit too hot and the girl that was leading that was going for the record exploded <laughs> oh, really? uh, and she dropped was it a bit like the, was it a bit like the come off games or was it just fading? no no she just had a she just had a bit of a meltdown and just slowed down but she ended up finishing fifth i think she got passed in the in the finishing straight by the by another person but yeah, I've, I've never really watched much of a marathon before, but it's actually quite good watching when you've got guys really going for records. And my God, do they go fast. It's just so it's impressive unbelievable, to see. Unbelievable, isn't it? So what the guy, who, who ended up winning? The means? Uh, Kip, Kip Choi, Kip, whatever, the, yeah, Kip, the, the guy Kip. who who went for the sub two, he, was, he had a guy on his shoulder for, for much of the run. I think they went two hours and four minutes for the win. Okay. Um, yep. But they slowed a bit towards the end, just, I think, mainly because, because it's, of the it's heat. What's, what's it, 203, 22 now, isn't it? High 202. Yeah. Yeah. So I just got to say, watching marathon runners run, it is just insane how fast they're going. And the males and females. Just awesome isn't it it's just human excellence like to me i love that stuff like i don't watch a lot of marathons either but man that is just balls out <laughs> you know, like that's just going for it um okay john any other goss oh wait a second patrons patrons uh daniel you've placed a chill on my heart Stuart. that's oh, that's a gold one i love it we've got ken rocking the free world young and Scott the Compass Moore. Good times. If you want to become a patron, go to www.talk.me and just go to our Patreon page and uh, Patreon page, and it's all pretty clear within the, the website. John. We've got oh, yeah. um, Mike the Swizzle Pizzle. He's all booked up coming to Kona. So he's the winner of our Kona draw. So we'll be doing that again in two years' time. So if you want to become a patron, that's uh, that's one of the benefits. You go on the draw. He's got his flights paid for. He's got his accommodation. He gets to come and stay with us. Booked a nice place. I saw that. I saw that. It's, and yeah. I, I, John, so here we go. So I get an email yesterday. <laughs> I haven't responded to it yet. He's got, um, obviously, accommodation is pretty tough. So he said, look, Mike's going to crash your fuss. Uh, and we've voted you're on the couch. It's <laughs> the love in this relationship. <laughs> it's got... a democracy, a democracy where you don't get a vote. But yeah. <laughs> you love those fold-out beds. It's not the it's couch. A it's a fold-out bed. And you like it out there. You stay up all night. You have your Coke Zeros. You yep. just wake up in the middle of the night. You're close to the fridge. <laughs> I've still got, there's still plenty of payback. I've, I unblocked that toilet many years ago. And that's still, <laughs> that true. I've still got plenty of credits in the bank for that one. 
<laughs> so, Mike, if you're listening, you're, you're on tour that I'm blocking duties this year. <laughs> so the reason we've got a prize winner. That's right. Uh, American toilets, you're my head in. The, so, the, the water's so high. Mm. You know, like, but let's not go into toilet, toilet stuff right now. Uh, quickly, sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And again, if you just go dub, 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 I am talk me, uh, dot me. If you want to email us, you can email us at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. Well, that was just, just to follow up on that kind of stuff, I will say it is extremely hard to get accommodation. Uh, we're in um, April now, and so we've got loads of people who haven't qualified. Uh, it's bloody hard to get accommodation in Kona. I mean, this is we were going for a two-bedroom unit, which is, is not a huge amount of. Very, very, very limited on what you can get. There's, there's quite a few one-bedroom places, and you can get a, a variety there. But if you qualify medium to late and you want a couple of bedrooms, good luck with that. So it's just, that's all I've got to say, is the expansion of Kona these days, um, it can't really get much bigger because it's just not the uh, the infrastructure to support the event. You've got, there's next to no hotels over there. There is a lot of condos. Um, did, you, did you look at Airbnb? Is yeah, it? looked at Airbnb, and wow. um, there's some pretty mediocre places there. Uh, there is also always the advantage that you've got is uh, if you do qualify late, you can stay 50 k's down the road at um, Waikoloa Manilani. Very, there's loads of hotels there so there's always that option but then you are out of it a bit and you're sort of 50 k down the queen k it's um can you like like can you cancel your booking uh the, the different cancellation policies yeah so there the will be things if you, that if you will are come thinking up. about qualifying for kona and, and you've got a realistic chance of getting there um you may want to take that risk Mm, in the future, early, you know yeah. early in the year you know like it's um i think i guarantee a, a lot of people do that I wonder if, like, in the Airbnb thing, like, it's interesting. It would be interesting to see if in the future if, if the locals cotton on to this more and see that they can make some good money. Like, Joe's sister, she lives in a place called Arrowtown, which is in Queenstown, and it's very popular. It's pretty much impossible to Queenstown kind of accommodation over the holiday period. And so they went to Australia over Christmas time, and they just Airbnb'd their place in Queenstown, and it basically paid for the holiday. Like, mm. You know, and so it'd be amazing. It's interesting to see that that hasn't popped up in Wakona around that week at least. A lot of people are just going, you know what, I can go away this week and actually make a good amount of money. Um, you know, so yeah, because it can be a problem. <laughs> Any other goss, Jombo? No other goss, Bevan. Just uh, rolling along, going for a bit of a three day or two night uh, hike with the kids this weekend if the weather plays ball. Where are you going to go? We're going to go around the, the, the top of the summit road um, from the top of Gibby's Pass over to Hilltop. Doesn't mean anything to anybody else in, in the world, but uh, basically walking along a bit of a, a bit of a ridge line. Two nights camping out, not camping out, two nights in huts, so it should be good times. Where are the huts? Uh, one's at the top of Mount Hur uh, just over the, um, near the top of Gibby's Pass, and the other one's, uh, I don't know, near Mount Herbert, sort of near Port Levy oh. Saddle. Again, yep. doesn't mean anything to anybody out there, but should be good times. Going to get Belinda out there this time as well. This will be. Oh, she loves that stuff. She loves, loves it. Loving it. <laughs> loving it. Outside of that, Bevan uh, did a three-hour indoor trainer session with a group on Sunday. One of our Wahoo kickers. Um, How'd they go? Which is good. So much more interesting. If you're in Christchurch and if you're listening to this and you're not part of the Tri Club. We've got our Wahoo kickers going now. We can get you know 14 people or so going at once on the Wahoo kickers. Brilliant sessions when you're going up and down. We were riding riding the Hawaii seventy point three course on Sunday, so it was uh, it was good times. It's really interesting. I was talking to Philip Mills, who's basically the owner of Les Mills, a very 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 successful man, uh, yesterday, and, and we were just talking about um, 
they've got cycling products, spin classes, but they're kind of it's going to the next level. Obviously, of indoor training at home, um, and also doing kind of videos on a bike at a, at a gym, but proper like really quality workouts. And it's they're putting a lot of time in. And they've also invented this product called the Trip, which is basically you walk into a room and it's an immersive experience. So the the room's like a an oval screen that covers your whole area, and you basically riding along this, this kind of video games riding at you i've actually mm. done it but apparently it's pretty phenomenal um and we're just talking about how you know indoor training like back in the old days when i was doing the sport 10 years ago the indoor session was the last ditch effort or yeah. you were somebody who whether you know like you lived in a snowy place so you just had to do it but it was it was a bit of a piss take really whereas yep. now actually indoor training because of the tools are so brilliant is actually how we train a lot more like people are spending less time on the bike outside and more time inside because it's actually better training which is such a fascinating involvement of our sport isn't it yeah and this is this positive and a big part of it as well as safety as well um that's a, a huge part of it but um no i totally totally agree but i think some like and, and lionel sanders pointed this out to perhaps as to his detriment he's almost exclusively done his training indoors and he kind of got to oceanside and that was one of the things that really showed up he was lacking in the skills on the technical oh, really? parts of the course and he sort of said that was, a, that was a good wake-up call from him going shit you know i'm really fit and strong and fast but if i'm lacking those technical skills and i think and, and I, so i definitely hear what you're saying but I'd urge people, you know, maybe you do your indoor training Monday to Friday, but if, if you can get out at least at the weekends, jeez, uh, it's, just, it's just good for you to get some fresh air and work on your skills. Um, obviously, over winter, it's a different story, but, uh, yeah, make sure you get out there and see some sun. That's, you know, that's John. a big part of our sport is actually should be getting outside, enjoying being out in the, the wilderness and, um, yeah, rather than stuck inside watching TV. And also like those tools are really great but it is a different kind of skill set to learning how to push yourself outside or you know and you know it's a different kind of game um did you watch the warriors john i did watch the warriors oh the mighty vodafone warriors yeah yes. god you didn't even plug the sponsor good on you oh well you've got to back a sponsor team of the best team in the world yeah <laughs> yeah loving the warriors the warriors just for american listeners that's our league team and we've been talking about because they normally and this week was a big week for the warriors because Warriors, they lead to disappointment every time. They're the cheating partner that keeps on cheating and you keep coming back. And this year, they were doing really well, and then they lost the game. And I was like, oh, here we go. And then last weekend, they played the undefeated team, team that hasn't lost a game all season. And both teams played well. Like, it wasn't that the undefeated team had a shocker. The Warriors won the game, John. Yeah, they did indeed. There we go. So, there we go. You never goss? No goss? No other goss, Bevan. That's it. Yeah. Well, I'm up in Auckland doing work in Auckland, John, doing the hard yards in Auckland. But that's yeah. about my goss. You look yeah. like it. That looks like a flipping five star room you've got there. Only the best for me, mate. I tell you. <laughs> You'll be going no, down. <laughs> when I go to Taiwan, it's more like a porn star room. So this is contrast, I tell you. You'll be going down for your big buffet breakfast, your bacon and eggs and no, waffles. No, no, I've had tomatoes on toast this morning. Well, I have two bits of tomato on toast and then half a bit with my. I did get picks peanut butter. So there you go. Yeah. Splashing right. out. Splashing out. Good well, stuff. Let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm in it. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.